This is episode 16 of the Rising Man podcast with Joshua Hathaway. No BS, bro. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I am the creator and host of this show, Jedi Azuma. And I want to give a special welcome to all my first time listeners out there. Anybody who is catching the Rising Man fever for the first time, welcome. So glad to have you. And a big welcome back to all my risers out there. The community is growing exponentially. We're in the mid 500s now uh, in the Rising Man Facebook group and the Facebook community. So many more guys are interacting every week, and I can really feel the movement moving. I can really feel the vibration starting to lift up and reach out all across the world. I mean, literally, we have men on every single continent participating in this movement now. So if you guys are not already involved in the Rising Man Facebook group, make sure you go check it out. Facebook.com slash groups slash The Rising Man. So much good conversation happening over there. And I want to also make sure I keep putting this out to all of you guys out there. I've had so many more men reach out to me individually since I started announcing this. And uh, like I like I say all the time, some of my greatest transformations in my life has have come by working with a coach, by working with men facilitating a workshop or some sort of community out there, specifically for me on my men's teams. And I know there's still a lot of men out there who are listening to this podcast, who are hearing these messages, getting really inspired and don't have the support. So again, I want to put it out there. If you guys know that you're capable of more than you're getting out of your life right now, and if you have challenges that you just don't know how to face, you don't know how to overcome them yourself, please, please, please reach out to me. Send me a message on Facebook or via email, jediazuma at gmail.com. I guarantee you that we can figure out what the next step is. And if I don't have the solution, then I'll help you find the way. So please, if there's any of you guys out there, I just I don't want anybody walking around in the dark by themselves. So, so take a bold step and reach out. Before we get into this episode, which I'm really excited to bring to you guys, I also want to announce to everybody that Father's Month is going to be celebrated in June here on the Rising Man podcast. We all know that here in the States, we celebrate Father's Day in June. And I decided since this is a podcast for men, we're going to celebrate fathers all month long. And the really exciting part of that is we are going to have two, that's right, count them, two Rising Man podcast episodes every week for the entire month of June. One of those episodes each week is going to be dedicated strictly to a special father who I've identified in my life, in my circle out in the world that I want to bring, help bring their brilliance here to the podcast. So as always, we're going to have the normal interviews that we've been running launching on Thursdays. And for the month of June, the special fathers episodes are going to be on Monday. So be on the lookout for the very next one. Okay. This episode, I have a guy who is all about no bullshit. <laughs> Joshua Hathaway uh, has a background in holistic clinical psychology, and he's also facilitated private organizational trainings as well as leadership coaching and consulting. He carries with him nearly two decades of research and experience in the fields of communication, psychology, and integral systems that help you process leveling up emotional intelligence as well as your communication skills. He is the founder of No Bullshit Communication, and he has participated in numerous men's 
circles and trainings. Let me tell you guys, Joshua Hathaway is no joke, man. He has a well of experience and information to share. Just some of the things, some of the highlights we focused on in this episode was the absence of rites of passage for our boys in the modern world and the extension of adolescence into the 20s and 30s for men, how that's related to these absences of rites of passage. We also spoke about revitalizing an old way of raising boys to become men. And Joshua is also a father, so we spoke about raising a son and giving structure to sons as they find their own unique way. And lastly, how to break through your own bullshit and get real. I will say no more. I'll just leave it up to him. I present to you guys, Joshua Hathaway. All right, Joshua joining us all the way from up in Santa Cruz, man. Is how, How's the weather up there right now? You know, I honestly don't know how the weather is in Santa Cruz. I'm out here in St. Lucie's, Florida right now. Um, I'm at this uh, this conference at a Club Med. So the weather here is like 85 degrees, 100% humidity, sunny, windy, beautiful. It's just amazing here. So loving it. Sweating a little bit. You should have told me that, man. I would have known you weren't in Santa Cruz right away. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, well, that's awesome, my man. Thank you for taking the time uh, out of your day to be here with us. I know we had a conversation a few weeks back, and what I loved yeah. about it was we jumped in deep. We got it was our first conversation we ever had, and we got down to the nitty gritty of what's happening in the world with men, what we've each experienced in our own lives, some of the work that you're doing, and it was an instant click. I got real excited about bringing you on the show here and tapping into some of that wisdom that you have to bring to the fire for these other men. Totally, man. Bro crush right away. It was hot. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Bro crush, thousand percent. Uh, so, so that's what we're gonna do today for for you guys who are tuning in. You know, we're gonna dive into some of our uh, some of the topics that are, we see come up for the men that we work with. Some of the things that we've observed in our lives and in men's circles that we've been in, and mm-hmm. sort of see where it goes. There's not like a very rigid structure to this one, but we will start off by uh, the same way I start off every podcast. I ask the men on my show, for you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Mm, Yeah, there's something about an integrity with principles that a man strives consistently to uphold, that there's a sense of deep loyalty and conviction around a set of principles that we want to live our lives by. And boys are just playing and experimenting in the world. So I think that's the fundamental difference for me is really a set of principles. And that doesn't imply perfection. That doesn't imply we always do it right. Or we're always perfect at keeping our word or, you know, all the things that they go into that journey. But it means that we come back again and again, um, to our commitment to those principles in our lives. Yeah, man, I, I love that response. I've, I've heard different versions of that from other guests before. And I think I align around that response as well, that a boy is just, taking swings out there in the world and throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what lands for him. Whereas a man, there's almost like a, a more refined sense of who you are and what your life is about and what you stand for. And uh, the reason I love this question is because it doesn't have, no one's ever said, well, when you turn 21 years old, you become a man. Or when you graduate college and get your first job, you become a man. Um, but I also think it's really important for something that you and I both speak about. And that's rite of passage because other yeah. cultures that have a ceremony or a ritual that marks or delineates the, the passage from boyhood into manhood, it doesn't exist in most Western cultures. And we're starting to revive it now. But um, maybe you can speak to that a little bit, the, co- the cost of not having that in our society. Absolutely, man. And it's a, it's a dual cost. It's something I've put a lot of thought into because 
a deer fawn is born. And within a year, that deer is ready to strike out on its own. It might be a part of the pack, but it's completely self-sufficient. Within days, it's walking and it's, you know, it's really self-sufficient. Like we look around the animal kingdom and we see that maybe elephants have six or eight years that they raise their young before they're actually adolescent or adult young, right? And then you look at the complexity of of our primate society, right? Our, our homo sapiens society, you look at the world that we've built around ourselves. And, it, you know, even a thousand years ago, our gestation period for, for youth was a lot longer than any other animal that we know, any other species that we know. But at 14 years old, these boys would be initiated into manhood and handed a spear and married off to their, um, to their partner. And they would be men. They would be taking care of themselves with people in society watching their back and their family watching their back. It wasn't a nuclear family situation, right? And so now, as our world complexifies even more, not just our brains, but the world that it's sort of interacting with and our society complexifies even more, we have this adolescence that I think rightfully spans into at least mid-20s. Like we have a world of so many options. And so when we talk about rites of passage and we talk about honoring the developmental cycles of a human being and really marking those with something powerful that's both challenging and and sort of uh, a demonstration of respect and a conference of, of certain freedoms and responsibilities, right? We have to layer that now in a way that we never did. Like there's a there's got to be a mid-teens kind of rite of passage and a mid-20s rite of passage now, you know, like the, the way that I see it. Yeah. And that, that's a great perspective. And I, I love that because I've never heard that before of like these a different tier of passage into manhood because it actually makes sense. It makes sense if you look at human history that, you know, even just as, as early as three or four generations ago, boys were being ushered into manhood. They were getting married at 18 years old. <laughs> you know, they were yep. joining the workforce. They were providing for their family. You know, I, if I look at the story of my grandparents, you know, they, they were doing the stuff that I'm doing now at least a decade earlier. At least. Right. And I'm 30 years old. It just had, you know, my kid is two and a half. And let's talk about this because there's a lot of social stigma for let's let's just keep the topic on men. But millennial men in our society who are 25 years old, who still live at home, who haven't decided on a career yet. Maybe they've tried a few different things. They tried school, tried a job, didn't work. And there's this negative connotation around the boy who's stuck at home. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really damaging, you know, psychologically, emotionally to these to these young men who don't who, who just haven't had the experiences that they need yet to break out on their own. And so what it sounds like you're offering is something different, a more an awareness where we as a community can take responsibility for those boys and, and support them a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, people want really simple answers, you know, and any judgment is a heuristic for a bunch of really complex sort of operations, right? So you judge a millennial for being a kid at home. There's so much that's missed in that. And the fact is that our culture is more complex than any other culture ever has. The number of choices, the the, the media um, that is being sort of employed and used on a daily basis by all of us, we have no idea what it's like. From even a generation that's 10 years older than the millennials, what it was like to grow up inundated by that culture and that sort of that amount of media and computer exposure and all those options that you have to choose from while also being told that you are a special snowflake, you know, unique among all snowflakes and that you can do something magical with your life if you just put your mind to it, right? Like. <laughs> This is a this is a beautiful recipe for a lot of messy, complex developmental sort of nuances that have to unfold around that. 
And I think that there are ways that we can, as a society, as men, sort of start mentoring better, which I think a lot of these young men didn't get as a lot of mentoring. They went through the mass school system and all that. We can start mentoring better. We can start actually crafting um, rites of passage and rituals that honor the, the path that they have walked instead of just sort of trying to cobble something together from ancient history because there's something primal and ancient that needs to be included. And there's something really vital and relevant that needs to be included in those rituals to really put them on a path of manhood today. You know, mm. I yeah. love that. And actually, let's so let's do this. I, I want to hear two different perspectives. The first is I want to hear what you would offer to the mentors, the uncles, the fathers, the men in the communities out there who are hearing this and mm. have some of those young men or boys in their life and, and what they can do for them. And then also after that, we can speak to the boy or the man who's still stuck in that space, who's the one waiting for passage, like how they can start to call it to call that inner creator for themselves. Absolutely, man. I'd love that. You know, it's interesting just watching my mind sort of start to flutter as you as you even brought up those two different questions, right? And I think the first thing that comes to mind is in terms of talking to the uncles and talking talking to the to um, the elder generation and how they can be supportive is literally like apprenticeship and and mentorship, like taking them under your wing and not babying them. But I think a lot of young men, a lot of millennial men, have no idea what it's like to apply a trade. And to, um, to really like, there's a lot of theoretical stuff, a lot of computer programming, a lot of sort of humanities work, psychological stuff that's happening, which is all very ethereal and kind of, there's no right answer. But when you have to pick up a saw and make a a wall plumb and square, you know, when you have to run electricity and make sure all those wires are in, in the exact right spot and lined up super clean and then pull that switch and make things go on or off without blowing things up, you know, there's something very real and irreducible about that kind of work, working with your hands and engaging with the physical world and creating something that has integrity and structure and order to it that I think is really a powerful teaching for, for any developing man and anybody who wants to be able to create something in his life, right? So that's one thing that I would, I would recommend. I think the other thing is to have to embody our, your values as a man in that person's presence without getting caught in a, the toxic masculine cycle of judging and making wrong and competing. To really stay in your in one's own integrity while sort of embracing and having compassion for what this person's up against that you actually don't really understand and holding a vision for his life that is one that is grounded and does have integrity and initiating conversations about principles and about like what matters to him and what you know what he really wants to create and what that path might look like and start to support and scaffold these guys in creating the lives that yeah, they want. And that's I love that. The common thread that I heard in that message was providing opportunities for these young men to try and fail and then eventually succeed. But after a series of failures, right? That f- the first time you try to throw that plumb line and get everything all plumb and square, I mean, <laughs> yeah. talk about, and, and how beautiful is it to see a young man struggle and to see, to have his, yeah. um, to see him come up against himself in, in yeah. whatever capacity it is. It could be, it could be in co- a construction capacity. It could be building something. Um, see, I, I, I practice capoeira, so I love the martial arts context of watching a boy come up against his limitations and then, um, you know, having his ego get super inflated and then get punctured and <laughs> come all the way back down. It's almost yeah. like those things need to happen. It doesn't really matter the framework, right? 
Absolutely. It could be capoeira. It could be rock climbing. It could be mountaineering, surfing. It could be building something. It could be building an app, you know, like whatever it is, do something that has a result that puts you up against your edges and, and then learn from your mistakes, you know, keep falling down and keep going after it. You know, I I think that's another mark of a man is the ability to keep falling down and keep getting up every time you fall down learning from your mistakes and stepping forward into a new experiment. And if we're playing in the realm of what does this new modern rite of passage look like, that could be one of the indicators is you've demonstrated that you're capable of persevering through a series of failures because that's what life is. And, and, you know, whether you're providing for a family or trying to land the job of your dreams, it's it's often a series of failures before you land on success. So uh, that's actually a cool game to play is like, what are some of these signatures of, that make a boy worthy of passage into manhood that based on the context of what's going to, what do you need to survive in this world? What do you need to succeed and thrive in this world? So you can pass that along to a, uh, to another boy, a younger man someday. Yeah. Are there other ones like that that come up? Yeah. It's interesting because what I notice is in my catalog of different rite of passage sort of elements, many of them are very much about independence and doing it yourself. And I think that there's a, a somewhat of a danger in that. One of the things that I want to see happening more in the rite of passage work that I'm doing and that, that's happening in the world is, is working the polarity of like radical independence and, and being able to sort of show up and, and do your work and radical interdependence where we're leaning on each other and we know that we are depending on each other. And that happens a lot in the wilderness with the youth that I work for, you know, whether it's they're, they're you know, the, these two different partners are carrying different parts of the tent and they have to hustle to get that tent set up before, before the rain starts falling. When we get in, when we hit camp, whether it's when we're, we're doing a, a sort of cross country and I literally just point to a spot on a map where there's no trails to it. And I teach them how to use a compass and they take turns leading and like, who's going to, how are they setting the pace? You know, are they listening to their guys? Are they taking in feedback? Are they taking, I'll let them lead us in the wrong direction for a while before I'll, I'll say anything. Cause this is the journey we're on, you know, and I might drop a, a subtle hint or two, but um, it's really, there's this really powerful collaborative element that I want to see as intrinsic to growing up as a man and being a man uh, that, that I think counterbalances our, tendencies toward isolation and independence in good ways. And for me, that's just the story we've been sold all of these years, probably from a previous generation, that it's it's the lone wolf. It's the lone ranger who charges out into the unknown and, and carves his piece of the pie out of the mm-hmm. world. And if you look at, yeah, sure, maybe that works if we're mountain lions <laughs> and we hunt in solitude, right. uh, but we're human beings. And we know with great certainty that our ancestors hunted in packs. It was the only way that they survived. We mm-hmm. don't have the inherent physical skills to allow us to hunt some of these other more physically proficient animals. So we had to work together. We had to collaborate. So if we're yeah. not including collaboration in the description of a boy who's ready to pass into manhood, I think we're missing something. That's a great point, man. Yeah. Yeah, and isolation is just such a theme that I think we're, we're sort of fighting our way back from as men, as, as a generation of men. feel a lot of gratitude for the men who came before us and, and really pioneered some of the men's work that's been happening over the last few decades, right, and bringing men together. And it still seems like such a relatively obscure thing in our culture that, that the men can come together around something other than a football game or, you know, something 
or a party or something like that, but you just come together to talk about what's real for you and what your challenges are and get support from other men and talk about the ways that you're completely failing yourselves, the ways that you're ashamed or the things that you're grieving and the isolation just contributes to so much, you know? So I think collectively between men, between women and then between men and women, we're, we're getting really, we're, we're going through a rite of passage, I think, as a culture and as a species to be able to collaborate in radical new emergent ways to, to find solutions to the challenges that all of this isolationism has created. I couldn't but. agree more. And that's a great transition into speaking to the, the young men or the boys who are in the midst of that, who are who are going to hear you say this and hear us talk about this and say, yes, that's me. What do I do now? Like, how do I call that in for myself? And it's, mm. you know. I see, I remember being in college and instinctually myself and all of the young men around me, we were looking for things to bond over. We were looking for experiences going, I remember going cliff jumping up in central state New York and, and doing things that pushed me to the edge to, to, so I could see what I was, what I was capable of and, and doing it in the, with camaraderie and, and, you know, going up into the wilderness for the first time, things like that. And so yeah. I think if we don't provide opportunities and context around rites of passage, boys and men are going to do it anyway, just by instinct. They're going to try and create these opportunities to initiate themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, for me, I think it's really important. Uh, some of the fundamental things I would say are number one, don't be afraid to do things badly. Please have the courage to do things badly. As one of my great like teachers and mentors said, uh, Marshall Rosenberg, who founded Nonviolent Communications, one of my favorite quotes of his is, anything that's worth doing is worth doing badly for a while. Like, you're not going to be great at it when you start. Like, there is a journey of sucking at things that is an intrinsic part of becoming masterful at things, right? which I like to use the example of my guitar. Like I did not enjoy the music that I played on my guitar for years. And then all of a sudden I started playing a, like a song that I enjoyed listening to. I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible, you know, and just got better and better. And now I love playing. I, I still play a lot of things that I don't love. I still suck. You know, that's called learning. You know, <laughs> if you're not falling, you're not growing or learning. But yeah, number one, like, don't be afraid to suck at things. Like get out there and suck at things for a while because as adults, we get really comfortable and we get really, um, as quote unquote adults, we get really comfortable and we, we want to stay in our zones of competence. But it's when we stretch outside those zones, zones of competence, like you were saying, that we really find a lot of gold, right? Again, it's about being willing to experiment. It's okay if you don't know exactly who you are. Like keep experimenting until you do find a sense of integrity in what really matters to you. Um, so much of, I think, what what we see as very rebellious and dangerous kind of rite of passage behavior is about young people who've been told who they were supposed to be for their whole lives and have to sort of violently break away from that identity structure by doing things that are are dangerous and that are sort of diametrically opposed to the to the values that were sort of attempted to be injected into them somewhat violently, right? As our culture does through force mm. and coercion and shame and fear. And so give yourself permission to experiment, you know, and give yourself permission to to try different ways of being in the world and pay attention to your experiments and really collect that data and really make adjustments to those experiments once you get the data. Because I think even as somebody who considers himself a man, I'm still doing a lot of experimentation, but I feel pretty clear about who I am, pretty clear about what my gifts are, and really clear about what my purpose and my mission are right now. 
And those are some things that got really clear to me as I allowed myself to sort of be messy and do those experiments. Along yeah, the way. I love how how much ownership you take over still being in the learning uh, because there's there's such such a natural inclination to assume that we arrive at a destination when it comes to our learning. And I remember being a young man and feeling like I needed to wait for the clarity before I started to take action on the learning. And one of my good friends is Dimitri Cornon. He taught me about this law, this principle called the law of transference, where you could play 25 hours of video games a week for 10 years, and there will be something inherent in those skills that will transfer into something else that you'll do that will seem unrelated, but whether it's commitment or strategy or organization principles that you pick up in that game, they'll be able to apply to something else. So it's almost like whatever you're drawn to, just go ahead and do it. And and also to enhance that, find somebody to learn from. When you said apprenticeship before, I was like, yes, mentorship, apprenticeship, learn a skill. One of my one of my teachers in the indigenous ways and like the ceremonial ways, he says, show up early and leave late. You know, be the first one in and the last one out because all the learning happens between the lines. And if you're willing to show up like that, people recognize it. You know, people recognize like, oh, they want to learn something. Let me let me share with you what I've picked up along the way. Beautiful. Yeah, man, there's no spiritual retirement. You know, anybody who thinks they've got it figured out, like is just setting themselves up for another interesting adventure. You know, <laughs> There really is this way, though, that I have found myself at different phases of my life trying to rest on my laurels, like, you know, the, the laurel wreath of the victories that I had before. And I've realized that there is just no such thing as, as, as somebody who's constantly growing and evolving. Like, I, I have to earn what I, what I, what I get every day, you know, I have to show up in fully in my principles and be at the, at the edge on, you know, on the edge of my seat, sort of keeping the iron hot in order to stay in that beautiful gossamer integrity with who I am and what I'm here to do, you know? So it's just, a, but it's a constant process of iterating and, and coming back to it, committing oneself, like you said, to, to service, right? Show up early and serve, stay late and serve, like use the energy that you have as a young person and, and that hunger that you have to show up in service because that's what's going to unlock so many things for you. And that's what's going to make the, the, your uncles notice you and want to take you under their wing and share more with you. And it's just a, such a beautiful path. When we can serve mm. like that. Yes, man. I, you know, I did a live with my wife yesterday in her Facebook group for moms. And one of the questions the moms asked me about her boys, because we were kind of in the dialogue of how does, how do, can you support your men and the boys in your life mm. a little more? And she said, how, how do I motivate my teenage boys to, to get off their butts? This is essentially what she was saying. She's like, how do I motivate my teenagers to, to take action and do something productive? So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'd love to hear your response to that question, being another person who works with young people a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know what you do is you tell them that they have to sit on their asses for four hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you make them sit and, and then you let them use their rebellious nature to get off their asses and do something different, you know? Um, I just think, especially with, with all the different developmental levels of parenting, like using that awareness of, of the sort of submit and rebel paradigm and what happens when, when, when people feel like we're trying to force their sovereignty to be different than it is, just be smart with that, you know? And if you're going to apply force somewhere, apply it in the opposite direction of where you want them to go, because then they're just going to, they're going to pop through it into what they, they really want, you know, again and again and again. 
That's really so, fascinating, man. A little bit of that reverse psychology, huh? Yeah. I mean, people, people talk about reverse psychology, but psychology a lot, it's this sort of pop psychological term, but very few people understand the deeply embedded sort of Tao of the world. Like if I push against you, you're going to push back at me. So let me make sure I push against you in the opposite direction of the force that I want you to go. Like it's, it's a fundamental martial arts principle. It's a fundamental principle in so many very sort of practical things. And it can be utilized. I utilize it all the time in my coaching. I utilize it all the time in my work with young people, you know, which is give that bump of energy in the opposite, you know, give them a little something to push up against, but do it smartly, you know, be paying attention. Oh, man. And that's, that's great. This is a little bit of a segue, but being a parent and, and, and I know you're, you're a parent of a a teenager. How old? old Yeah, buddy. I just, I just sent my son to prom this last weekend. He's 16 years old. Yeah. Holy cow. Holy cow, man. And so, and me being a young parent, my son is going to be turning three soon. Um, that there is that, there is that principle. There is that like universal law that when you, what you ask them to do or what you tell them to do, it, it goes the opposite way. And I've noticed it myself with myself and with my wife that a lot of times we go that route when we're trying to, cause, cause we're tired or we're just mm-hmm. trying to take the easy way. Like just, just listen, just come, just mm-hmm. comply, just cooperate. Why can't you just listen to me? Yeah. And I see, you know, you see parents doing this stuff in public too, because frankly, I think they're just exhausted and they don't know what to do. Right. Totally. So, yeah. So yeah. So what have you picked up on, on, on that dynamic that might be helpful to some parents out there? Oh man. You know, parenting is such an inside job, man. As you know, um, being at this with a, with a, with a child in a very unique part of that developmental curve around independence and establishing um, his own identity. Right. And for me, it's a win every time as a parent, I've been able to notice that I am under-resourced and to attend to myself first and to, to give myself some, some loving attention before I attempt to engage my child. Because when I'm, when I'm able to self-connect first, then I can be authentically connected to my child and not seeing them as my enemy or an object that I need to move around. You know, And anytime I'm seeing them as my enemy or an object, then I'm applying my demand energy upon them and their innate sovereignty, their like innate sort of spirit is going to say, no, hell no, I'm not going to do that. And it's going to make it harder for them, even because they love you, even if they want to give you what you want, you are literally flipping a switch in their nervous system that has to resist you. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's beautiful. And so the more that we can practice in the moments where we are well-resourced, the kinds of parent parenting that we want to do, then the better our, our gong fu is when, when we are tired and hungry and late and all the, all the things that stack up on us um, that <laughs> will be those ultimately certain sort of defining moments about the way that we raise our kids, you know, I mean, yeah. the way that our children then learn how to behave and be in the world. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. I was laughing because I'm thinking back to when I went away to college about four hours from, from my parents where I grew up. And every time, from the moment I left for the first semester of college, every time I came home for a break and my mom would jump right back into the nur- nurturing, you know, taking care of me, like, you know, washing my laundry, making my bed, all of that stuff. The more I like from that point on, I was like, I can't be here anymore. Like I, I'm going to leave early from break to go back to school. And, you know, I think I don't think she was consciously trying to drive me in the other direction, but she did a good job because I never I never went back to living in my house full time from that point. And so uh, right. it's it's funny, but it's true. 
It's true. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it happens when we look at um, teens with this rebellious, you know, oh, they're just they're just rebelling. And it's like, yeah, OK, that's exactly what they're doing, because what are you asking them to do? <laughs> what are you asking of them or requesting of them? And how opposite is that? So, yeah, I had a teacher um, uh, who Justin Sterling, who who I said it as succinctly as I've ever heard it said, which is really important. And, and that was to a lot of people try to regulate children's behavior instead of instilling values. And so especially the job of a father is not to manage your child's behavior, it's to instill values, to let them behave how they're gonna behave, to hold the boundaries you need to hold, to hold them accountable to certain standards that are your values, and to come again and again from the values that you are trying to impart to them, like, a, like water into a sponge rather than trying to like micromanage their behaviors in the world because kids are going to be messy and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do all kinds of experiments. But if we can bring our values again and again to the way that we parent and the way that we deal with them and work with them and love on them, then those values out the other side of all of their experiments are going to be what sticks, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think something important to remember about that is embodying your values today in this moment, in this next interaction with your child doesn't immediately equate to them subscribing and enrolling in that value no. system. <laughs> no, that's just it. It's like, it's like parents are like, I'm being so empathetic with my child. I don't know why they're not empathizing with me. And it's like, dude, you know, your child is not the person who's there to validate your ego and empathize with you. Like go get those resources. Like I, I tell parents all the time, like get support with other parents. Like go to other adults to get your tank filled up in the ways that it needs to be filled up. If you're looking to your child to, to give you empathy, if you're looking for your child to make you feel better, please look elsewhere because it's not good for either of you. Yeah, you know? a, that's a big cost on a child too. I mean, as you're saying this, you know, full moment of transparency. I know when I've had like a rough day, I've been out at work, you know, dogging it really like in a tough stretch, especially this week. This has been a tough stretch for me. I mm -hmm. caught myself the other night, like spending some time with my boy and being like, hey, would you come over, just come over and give your dad a big hug? You know, like, 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 and what I was asking for was just let me know I'm doing a great job, you know? And he was like, nope. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, oh man, really? Like, not gonna give me a hug right now? Come on, dude. And right. but but the, the the important part about that, aside from it being hilarious, is that's a lot for a child to hold. You know, going yeah. back to your d distinction between a boy and a man, maybe mm -hmm. even if we're just saying child and adult, you know, those children they're still just exploring. They're still having those moments. They're taking their swings and trying to see what they do value in the world. And when we put the responsibility of our emotions or our ego on top of them, I mean, not only is it overwhelming, but it's going to result in some more of that rebellious expression that they have yeah. to just to kind of diffuse that energy. It's a lot, it's a lot of energy when children have to take care of the adults. Yeah. It's so much, man. It's so much. And adults are trying to make kids take care of them all the time. I was just writing an article that will probably be coming out in the Good Men Project about raising my son. The the trust, the trust that it came down to in, in the raising of my son, we unschooled him for seven years. And the way that we just had to keep making these faith-based, like trust-based decisions in his innate intelligence, that somehow we, it's not that we had to like condition the animal out of him and teach him how to be a good person and how to how to do, you know, be kind in the world. We literally just had to let him do his experiments and keep him safe along the way and surround him with the values and the, and the kind of world that we wanted for him along the way so that he would eventually find his own path. And now my son, who 
was unschooled for seven years, literally hardly spent any time in the classroom, hardly ever did any homework, is in his sophomore year carrying like a 4.3 GPA, um, competing for valedictorian, playing two sports and still doing his artistic work as a smith and, and doing big wall climbs with his dad every couple months blown away by who he is and it's I have a, such a deep trust in the fact that it's because I let him be exactly who he was all along the way and trusted that and instead of forcing school on him when he wasn't ready for it I let him choose it he chose it and he's crushing it and loving it wow you know? I love that man and I was about to ask you for what is the simple principle that any parent and not even just a parent but anyone who is looking after a younger boy or man that they can hold on to. And I think you nailed it right there is mm. let them tell you what they need and then, and, and be sure to establish boundaries that keep them safe along the way. And that, yeah. that alone is a really tricky dance too to know where is my ego getting in the way of their development and where am I just doing my job as the guardian to protect them? Totally. Yeah. And I had, I read an article like again and again, like I had all these bubbles pop of like the kid who I thought my kid was supposed to be like, he was supposed to love soccer and he was supposed to love surfing and he was supposed to love rock climbing and he was supposed to love going on hikes. And he didn't love any of that stuff as a kid, you know, like he had ample opportunities to fall in love with it and he weren't loving it. Pop, 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 pop. All these little dream bubbles I had of who he was. And I had to surrender that again and again. And many of those things have been delivered back to me in spades now because I just let him take his own journey with it. Now we do climb together. Now we do backpack together and we do things that I always dreamed we would. And I'm not dragging him along. We're doing it really, truly together. Mm. You know? That's beautiful, man. So let me ask you this. What helped you along the way? So when those, when those dream bubbles were getting popped and obviously I'm sure you're coming up against yourself when it comes to how you're raising your boy, what worked for you in that time? Yeah, I was really fortunate to have a, a couple of really wonderful communities in my men's community, the guys I was doing men's work with. I also had my nonviolent communication community and people who I had empathy buddies. I had somebody who I was literally in a practice for years of having at least 30 minutes a week where I'd call somebody and we would just listen to each other and reflect back what we were hearing. It was a, it was a space for zero sort of advising or commiserating or anything. It was a deep practice of just listening and reflecting, which helped me to sort of dig deeper into my own experience again and again and come to some of the core needs I had coming up. And so I feel really fortunate to have had those two sort of different and beautiful forms of support as I was growing up as a father. And and, and I I had a kid really young. Um, I was one of the first people in all, of all of my friends to have a kid. I was 24 years old when he was born. I was still in college. And so I didn't have a lot of peers. I didn't have like friends who were going through the same thing as me. So those things became really critical to my sanity and my capacity. Mm, yeah, father. it always comes back to community, right? Getting getting support and asking for help. And that makes me think back to earlier in our conversation, we we're talking about some of the marks of a man that really matter when you're really stepping yeah. into manhood, that ability to ask for help, to yeah. ask and receive the help yeah. that's waiting. Because, you know, in on that topic, I know how difficult of a journey it's been for me to ask and then receive the help. One of the contexts that was really helpful was recognizing how much of a gift it is to ask somebody for help mm. because then immediately they're in a place of service. And yeah. so that was kind of like a, whoa, I never thought of it like that. Cause I was making yeah. it all about me for a while. <laughs> totally. Right. I don't want to burden you. No, no. You're actually making my life more wonderful by help, like giving me an opportunity to serve you. Like it is an amazing sort of flip 
right there. Yeah. And yeah. I love, so you mentioned that, uh, I think what you called was empathy calls. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just describe that practice a little bit for, cause I think that sounds like something really fascinating and could be really simple for anyone who's listening to this man or woman that yeah. might help them out a lot. Yeah, I'd love to. And it's something that I encourage all of my students to do. I, I've continued teaching nonviolent communication in a sort of saltier format that I call no bullshit communication and do trainings in that. And a lot of my coaching is, is, is through my no bullshit communication brand. And um, and it's a really simple practice. When we talk about in the communication work I do from nonviolent communication, we talk about these irreducible components of our experience. We have our observations. We have our feelings as in emotions like angry, sad, disappointed, scared. And then we have these universal human needs that are that are driving all of our behavior. And we all need connection. Of course, we all need air and water and shelter and food, right? But we also need connection. We need intimacy. We need beauty. We need inspiration. We need to be heard and to be seen. And so anything that we might be longing for, any any painful emotions we experience are going to be rooted in some universal need and so in an empathy call we are we're just one person would be in the seat of the the sharer who's like sharing and talking about their life and what's going on the other person remains in the seat of the listener and the listener is just going to listen and then reflect back like whatever the person's story is wherever they're going with it they're just going to reflect really um precisely back like are you feeling blank because you need blank are you feeling scared because you're wanting safety are you feeling despair because you're needing some hope right now? Like, and it's literally just bringing the person back to themselves and their own experience again and again. And then, you know, we, we split the time in half or sometimes somebody's going through something really hard. So we might give them a bigger sort of spot in the, in the sharing seat and, uh, and, you know, support them a little more from the listening seat. But that practice alone has been one of the most fundamentally powerful spiritual practices of my life. Because it is this way of completely reframing how I engage with people and how I'm capable of really staying with and listening to people when they're talking to me and being able to make sure they understand, they know that they're being heard before I offer any other kind of response or some kind of what that stimulated in me or any kind of advising or anything like that. I'll make sure that people are heard because nobody would be opening their mouth to say something to you if they didn't want to be heard, you know, and it's an easy need to meet. By just reflecting back. Yeah, it's an amazing practice. And listening to you describe it, I know I've had my own style or some of that coming out of my men's team for the way we check in with each other. And I know for me, the reason those calls and those connections are so impactful is because I can sense that when I'm sharing authentically from my from my heart, that there's no judgment coming back from the other side. So aside from the non-judgment piece, are there any other agreements or values or principles in those dialogues that are really important to keep track of. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to be continually as the listener asking questions and being curious, coming from a state of curiosity about the other person rather than a state of kind of telling them how they how they're feeling or what they're needing. And it's also important to remain sort of authentic. You know, if, if you guess something about my experience that doesn't really land for me, I can say, you know, it's more like this, you know, and I get to make an adjustment to that. But just the very fact that you have asked the question and shined a light on that possibility in me helps me see more clearly what's happening inside of me, you know? And so it's even sort of incorrect or inaccurate or slightly off the mark guesses 
about what's going on can be um, hugely supportive to help me clarify it in, in my own self. Or yeah, happening. yeah, that's that's great, man. And the other one that comes to mind is not trying to fix somebody. <laughs> you know? Totally, totally. Yeah, there's no need to fix when you can just be present with somebody. You know, and that it comes back to this this trust in beings. Like I trust my child. I trust everybody I speak to. That actually the seed of the the solution of whatever challenge they're facing is already inside of them. And I could hand them the exact same seed, but because it comes from me, now they actually have to resist it a little bit. Right. But when I can stay with them and just help them navigate and stay in the, in the mode of curiosity and questioning, um, then they'll find that seed in themselves and they get, they get to own it and they get to own it at such a deeper place than if they just accepted somebody's advice or said, Oh yeah, you're right about that. That's awesome, man. I love that. And for, for anyone who's listening right now, this practice, if you're not doing this or something like it, try it out with a, with a friend, try it out with one of the people that you trust the most in your life and and apply some of these principles to it. Cause I think it's very, it's very easy to go into uh, a dump, you know, pity party commiserating session that also is not very, can, might not be very productive. You know, yeah. if you're really trying to grow and you're trying to examine yourself deeply, it's, it's along the lines of what Joshua is sharing here. Yeah. It's so powerful. And, and I highly recommend, you know, checking, you can just Google, you know, feelings list and need list and get yourself a list of emotion words, because we have a relatively impoverished sort of language of emotions that's in common parlance in our, in our culture. So it's so helpful to have those words right in front of you. Like, how am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling wistful. You know, how often do you get to use that word? I'm feeling tickled. You know, it's like we have such a narrow bandwidth. And also the universal feeling, the universal human needs list is great to have in front of you because it's just a one pager with, you know, maybe not exhaustive, but a lot of the core needs that we face on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And it's, it's a language unto itself. But being able to point to those things in their abstractness gets you out of your story and out of your sort of victim mentality that for some reason you're feeling this way because of somebody else, or you're feeling this way because of circumstance X or Y, when you're feeling this way because you have a need for sort of balance or connection or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's great. And and again, the the connection piece is so important too. you know, the, the body and our, our physical body language is so important. And so whenever possible, having these conversations in person is always, I believe the most powerful or at least being able to see each other face to face, at least yeah. being able to connect through the eyes and through the facial expressions. Like a lot of what we say is written all over our face and in our eyes. So absolutely. Absolutely. Even just somebody listening who's attentive, I don't have to say a word, you know, they're with you and you can see it in their eyes and they're, they're with you, you know, and it is, we do have a need for empathy. Human beings have a core need to have another human being like get their experience to be gotten. Right. And we, 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 we are often starved for empathy, especially as parents, when we're surrounded by children who can't possibly, they're, they're developmentally incapable of getting our experience. They can be present to us in beautiful ways but they are incapable of empathy until a certain age, like cognitively. Right. And so how do we get our tank filled up with that empathy and that experience of being heard and felt? Wow, man. 
super powerful. I'm I'm really excited about all the different areas we covered. We we covered a lot of territory, man. We did. It feels dude, like we've only been like going it. for five minutes here. <laughs> yeah, way, um, way to like way to like take the balance on all those little shift moments and just bring us into a whole new little treasure trove of conversation, man. That was yeah, great. I look forward to getting some feedback from the guys who listen to this because uh, there there was a lot of great stuff in there. It might, it might even be worthy of a couple of listens to to really mm-hmm. get all the the juice. Um, mm-hmm. But so okay, so let's turn let's turn our attention towards wrapping up here. I want to ask you a few questions that I ask everybody on the show. And so, okay, so let's do this first one. Since I kind of did this a little bit backwards, I want to give everybody an opportunity to, to, to see into your soul a little bit more. So would mm. you share with us, what would you say is the biggest challenge you've faced as a man this far in your life? And what did you do or what, what helped you to overcome that challenge? Yeah. You know, I think honestly, the biggest challenge that I continue to face as a man that I've made a lot of great leaps and steps forward in is this, this challenge of like truly deeply radical authenticity, like to, to leave any like performative elements of myself behind to unhide myself completely in the world, to speak my truth, no matter how uncomfortable it is from a place of ownership and to be fully present with other people when they're speaking that truth. And I just have had a reflexive way of being kind of a chameleon throughout my life and being able to fit in anywhere and kind of just nodding my head and agreeing in certain different spaces when I didn't really agree or I didn't really understand or maybe not asking that question that would have been a more honest question to ask, but I'm just pretending like I understood so somebody would like me, you know? So I continue as a as a 41-year-old man to to refine my capacity to, to really be in my beginner mind and to really be the most honest, like most exquisitely, brutally, compassionately honest version of me that I can be. Yeah, man. I love that you shared that. I I share that as well. It's still a challenge. And as you were sharing that, I was like, you know, it's not like a light switch that you turn on this ability to be fully authentic. You don't just recognize, okay, being authentic is the right way to do things. So let me flip the switch on. Boom. Everything in my life is an open book. It's like a, it's more like a dimmer switch or like a gauge that you get to turn up over time. So I, Thank you for sharing that the way you did. I think that'll be really helpful. Um, Let me ask you this one. What is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? How to eat pussy really well. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's not a light switch thing, right? I mean, it's not a light, you know, it takes a little practice, but if somebody would have just given me some real guidance instead of having to look at porn, if somebody said, no, no, you got to take your time. You got to tease that thing so well, you got to just, oh, the lightest, lightest pressure. And just, you know, somebody really guided me through the process. I think I would have been in a great advantage in both my confidence and uh, and uh, just had the, that's one of the secrets of the universe. I think the, the secrets of the universe, maybe <laughs> the universe. Yes, yeah, and and also to be to be of service. You know, I mean. I mean, wow, we're going to have to do another, another conversation just on when you mentioned porn, I was like, oh man, I had to learn so much of my own sexuality through pornography. And I know that that's like one of the big issues, at least we're talking about it now in our culture, at least we're acknowledging that, um, statistics I heard are that most boys have their first exposure to pornography at the age of eight and they become highly addicted to, and have like a, what's the word, like a a habit of viewing porn compulsive by the age of 11 between 11 and 12. It's unbelievable. And that's where, that's where you're shaping your, your story about sexuality and and intimacy. So much. Yeah. 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 So that's a great one, man. I I definitely haven't had that response before. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
there's all kinds of things that that was the first like clear yes. Like <laughs> I definitely wish I would have known that. When I was <laughs> <laughs> well, you're practicing that authenticity, man. Well done. <laughs> um, all right. So then the last one, what would you say are the most important values for a man to have in the modern world? Wow. How many do I get to choose from? <laughs> or how many do I get to choose? Uh, let's, uh, let's do five or, le- five or less. Okay. I want to take humility because I think humility, I like to define humility in a particular way. And I think I'll just use that one. And of course, there are the ways that we, we commonly talk about humility as, the, as an ability to not try to present yourself as something you're not, try to, try to be sort of at ease and gentle and it's the opposite of sort of arrogance, right? But I also like to define the ultimate humility as the absence to ever feel compelled to manage anyone else's perceptions of you. Right. That's the ultimate humility is to never need to go in and try to gaslight somebody to have them perceive you a certain way in the world, to change their opinion of you or to change their ideas about you. Right. The truly humble person is going to let everybody think exactly what they think, knowing that he has no control over that and continue to come back to his integrity and who he is as a a human being and know himself and express his values from a place of humility and not performance, but from a place of like true commitment and resignation. I love that, man. And I don't know if you noticed you did this, but you, you led with humility and it led it into a lot of other beautiful values like integrity mm-hmm. and, and dignity and all of that other stuff. So mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Lo- love that. Love that response. OK, so before I let you go, man, everybody who's listening to this episode is going to want to follow you and say, what is this guy all about with this no bullshit communication? So where can we follow you? Where do you want people to find you? Hit us with the socials, whatever you got. Thank you, brother. Yeah, um, definitely go check out my website. It's, um, it's www.masteryourbullshit.com. Um, and you can, you can jump on my list and get a whole series of videos, like short, funny videos where I start to unpack a lot of the communication work that I do. Um, and, uh, and you can also get access to some um, really simple, um, cheap like webinar things where I can, I can really lay things out and you get some of these resources to start go you know, go ahead and have that empathy buddy in your life and have the feelings and need books in front of you. You can go to the no BS communication dojo on Facebook. That's a, that's a Facebook page where I, I, I also send out a lot of videos that I make and content and tell people about where my next um, training is going to be. And then please also check out the brotherhoodcommunity.com because myself and my collaborateurs, Robert Schwinkler and Peter Rubin are building, uh, just building a movement and a community of men who are like empowered in their potency and deeply attuned as well, where we're really trying to change male leadership in the world, connecting them deeply with one another and their vulnerability and, and to dismantle some of the paradigms of, of leadership that we've inherited and really learn how to lead alongside the women who we are co-creating the next sort of world that we're here to co-create together with. So that's the brotherhoodcommunity.com. Come check out a free coaching group. Come check out our monthly community calls and maybe join us for a retreat. Beautiful, man. I love it. I love it. I'll make sure that those links and resources are all in the show notes so people can find you. And uh, hey, bro. I'm looking forward to catching you on my next time up to Santa Cruz. I'll be looking forward to meeting you in the flesh for the first time. Likewise, my friend, really looking forward to it. And and whenever you want to have another chat, dude, I I really cherish the time that we get to spend. So let's let's talk again soon on or off, you know, camera or whatever. Right on, bro. 
Beautiful. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed the conversation with Joshua. This was a really organic connection between Joshua and I. I don't exactly remember how the conversation started, but somehow we became friends on Facebook. I really dug what he was talking about. We connected, hit it right off on our first conversation. I said, you got to be on the show. He brings such incredible wisdom to the table. I really admire the way that he has raised his son and the way that he has allowed his son and his unique purpose and presence to lead the way and at the same time providing structure and safety to him along the way as he as he figures out who he is and declares his identity in the world and i also love the masculine energy that joshua carries there's so many different ways of presenting masculine energy and 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 just the the essence of man and joshua does that in a really brilliant way so i hope you guys got a lot out of this episode i know i did i do every single time and if you're listening to this episode and like i mentioned in the in the top of the show and you're like man i'm so ready to lift off i'm so ready to take the next step say no more reach out to me on facebook send me a message or hit me up on email jettyzoom at gmail.com we'll figure out what the next step is for you one way or the other but make sure you keep rising up because that's what this is all about that's why we call this the rising men if we're not all rising then we still got work to do uh, make sure you check out the show notes for links and resources over at therisingmanpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Snap the screenshot, send it over to me, tag me, however you want to do it. Send it to therisingmanpodcast at gmail.com and you will get a private invitation from me for a very, 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 very special experience that I'm going to be putting out here in the next couple of weeks as I start to gather the momentum around it. Um, I've already been taking a log of all of you guys who leave a bunch of comments, who've been leaving reviews and always loving up on the Rising Man podcast. I promise all that love is coming back your way. Just give me a little bit more time to work on it. Um, and also just help us reach other men by leaving a review because I know when I am looking for a new podcast or a new piece of content to indulge in, I always look at what people are saying about it because it saves me a lot of time <laughs> of having to listen to all of the episodes and all of the content to get to what I'm really interested in. I always find value in the reviews that people leave. And you never know who the man out there who's going to be, who's going to read your review, who's going to say, I should check out this podcast. And that moment, that shift in their progression in their life could change everything. So take a few minutes, leave a review, subscribe, let everybody know about it, make a Facebook post, whatever you do, spread the word because I need your guys' help. I need your guys' help spreading the mission. And in addition to that, if you're not already a part of the Rising Man Facebook community, go over to facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. We are growing, we are on the rise, and we need more men. So if you're already in there, invite a few of your friends, a few of your brothers. It's for men only. You guys know that. But this is where the conversations around each episode, around the experiences and the challenges and the triumphs that we're having as men in the world are being shared from guys all across the globe, seriously, all over the world. So make sure you check it out if you're not already a part of that. Reach out to us on Instagram at The Rising Man Pod or at Jetty Azuma. That's my personal page. Shout out to my main man, Sean Offenbach, over at Infinite Melodics. That's at Infinite Melodics, Melodics with an X. Sean is the man behind the curtain, making these episodes everything that they are, making me sound good, making my guests sound good, making us all sound good. So go over and check Sean out, give him some love. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. Your destiny.